What's up, familia? Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. I uh, forgot you could be listening to this at any time, but as promised, we are back with the next installment of CubaCast. This is another episode of Cafe City Cuba, just shot on January 20th. And so this one sort of piggybacks off yesterday's episode, where yesterday's episode was a deep dive on the travel restrictions. This episode gives an overview of all of the restrictions that have been implemented since Trump took office and leading all the way up to now the elimination of charter flights, which is a devastating blow to Cuban families, the Cuban private sector. And we are going to talk about all of that in one second. I just want to give a shout out. I use Anchor to create these podcasts. And so I just want to give a shout out to um, Mauricio Abad, who's a listener who sent me this super awesome audio message who I guess he listened to the podcast and sent the message with some feedback. So Mauricio, thank you so much. Um, I, here's, here's the message here. Dude, I just heard your podcast and I, I really love it. And I really love the metaphor of, of the door and seeing Cuba as all those people like, yeah, like trying to push that door or behind that door. And that concern about family and the people remaining back. I live in Cuba, but I'm an artist, so I kind of travel a little bit around the world. And I know what you're talking about. A lot of my family is living in the U.S. right now. So, cheers, bro. Yeah, nice post. Claps for you. Yeah, so what Mauricio was referring to there was actually an analogy that I use when I talk about the Cuban-American attitude towards Cuba, largely of the hardline Miami exile community, which is imagine Cuba as a house and inside that house you have a family living there. In this case, that family is 11 million people, the population of Cuba. And then you have someone who maybe used to own the house before, which is quite literally the case, but then left uh, in some cases, we're forced to leave. Obviously, I understand all that. There's a lot of emotions, a lot of trauma, a lot of things that need to be reconciled. But now they want to come back to their old house and just knock down the door, kick the people out and take it back for themselves. So it's kind of a selfish attitude that doesn't respect the needs of the family currently living in that house. And that I wanted to basically say thank you so much, Mauricio, and tie this in with this episode because... This is exactly what happened with this with this policy now of the removal of charter flights to the island. Charters were pretty much exclusively used by Cuban and Cuban-American families to visit relatives on the island. And the money that the government was getting from these charter flights, it could not have been significant enough. I mean, people are now going to have to take domestic Cubana de Aviación flights to see their relatives in other provinces. And I actually don't want to give away too much of the episode but uh, it's a really selfish policy move by the administration. And of course, this is controlled by the Miami exile community. So it really just hurts Cuban families. It hurts the families living in that house of Cuba right now. So Mauricio, thank you again. And with that, mi gente, get ready because you are tuned into CubaCast. so much for tuning in to another episode of Cafecito Cuba with Cubano Chris with a beard. Uh, happy New Year. 
I, I know it's a little bit past New Year's, but this is my first video of the New Year, so you can't say it too many times. Um, we have a lot to cover. What I'm going to be doing this year is, well, I don't know if I'm going to be doing it this year, but this month for January, uh, it's already January 20th. So I have a lot to cover for the beginning of this month. And then maybe next week or the week after I'm going to come out with one final video talking about the rest of the developments from the month. But with that, with a sip of my cafe la llave, and we're going to get started with the elephant in the room. What's that? I think, you know. On January 10th, Trump canceled all charter flights to all Cuban cities, of which there were nine, except Havana. And charter flights to Havana are also going to be limited too. And obviously, you probably can guess how I feel about this. I mean, it's going to be horrible for Cuban families, as well as the Cuban private sector. But before I really get into my opinions, um, I want to just give a brief recap of where the policy was and how Trump rolled it back and basically how we got to where we are today not spending too much time, but just for context. So the United States has always had a travel ban as well as an economic embargo against Cuba. And within that travel ban, there's been a bunch of approved exempt categories for travel. But the catch was that in order to go there, you needed a specific license from the Office of Foreign Assets and Controls. Now in the second term of Obama's presidency, when he started this detente or this normalization of relations with Cuba, what he did, his main uh, claim to fame here was that he changed a, the requirement of a specific license to a general license. So that essentially meant that anyone could just go and travel to Cuba. And then when they came back, they, they were going through customs and they'd just check off a box. Why'd you go to Cuba? Oh, support for the Cuban people, individual people to people travel. Yup. Yup. No questions asked. And the, the messaging was very positive and it was very easy to travel to Cuba. So with that small change, um, and these, this general license for these 13 approved travel categories, the bonanza of U.S. tourists ensued. Cruises started up, commercial flights started, there was more charters, everybody started going to Cuba, and it was the latest craze. Then when Trump came to office in 2016, all that sort of stopped. Now, I don't even know what Trump's personal take on foreign policy towards Cuba is, because anybody who knows anything about our policy towards Cuba knows that it's controlled by the Cuban-American exile community and the historically hardliner slash isolationist uh, people there. That includes Marco Rubio, Mario Lincoln Diaz-Balart, and the like. And so they wanted to do away with this whole Obama era opening. So brief recap of the actual changes. In June 2017, Trump's first announcement on this is that individual people-to-people -people travel was done for. Now, this was basically a cover for, I mean, because tourism, pure play tourism is illegal, but individual people to people travel was basically tourism. I mean, you could go there, no questions asked, and it didn't really have a lot of requirements associated with it. Two years after that, in June of 2019, Trump then eliminates group people to people travel. And with that go cruises, private flights, corporate vessels, all that's done. Then in October of last year, the Trump administration announced that all commercial flights were going to be eliminated to those nine Cuban cities, except for Havana. And then finally, on January 10th, all charters to these nine Cuban cities, except for Havana, were also eliminated. So here's what's left. For the average Joe Schmo American who wants to visit Cuba, they can either take a charter or commercial flight to Havana under the category of support for the Cuban people. But just on this announcement real quick that charters are going to be eliminated. I mean, this just sucks. This is going to really devastate Cuban and Cuban American families, as well as the Cuban private sector. Because while a lot of tourists were taking commercial flights, 
The charters are mainly used by Cubans to go visit their relatives on the island, some who live in provinces that are very far away from Havana. So now these people are going to have to land in Havana, and they're either going to have to take a Via Azul or Cubana de Aviación domestic flight, which are, both are pretty expensive. They're going to be paying the government to get to have to spend 15 plus hours on a bus to go visit their families in the provinces. Uh, also on these charter flights, they were being used a lot by mules or mulas. And so if you've ever taken a flight to Cuba, you'll know that when you get to the airport, everybody is saran wrapping their bags like 50 times over. And that's because the Cuban government, uh, the customs agents in, in the airport, they check the bags because they know that there's a lot of mules coming. And so mulas basically would take supplies and remittances in kind to Havana, but also the provinces. And these would form the basis for the inputs that then the Cuban private sector would resell because the state prohibits wholesale markets for the private sector. So they don't have access to cheap goods to sell unless they go get them in Panama. So the mulas are, you know, uh, it's a huge industry in Cuba. So by eliminating the charter flights, we kind of play right into the Cuban government's hands who's trying to limit the private sector by making it very difficult for these mulas to get these inputs into the hands of the Cuban private sector. So families are gonna get hurt. The private sector is going to get hurt. And I mean, I talked about this on Instagram for everything that the Cuban revolution did. One thing that it, you can't deny is that it really separated a lot of families. And now our government is playing into that exact same theme of separating Cuban families all for political gain to grab Cuban American votes in Miami. And, uh, you know, hopefully it stops here. But who knows? This could continue all the way up until the election. Now, I always try to look at the bright side of everything. And um I actually told people about this on my Instagram, but there's an app called Sue Cuba, which was developed by a group of Cuban entrepreneurs. It's basically Cuban Uber. And you can, if you land in Havana, you can actually take transport from them, which is pretty reliable, which is, you know, speaks to the private sector. It's tough to get reliable transportation in Cuba, but you can take reliable transportation from Havana to some of the remote provinces. And it's a good way to support the private sector. Yeah, so to wrap up on this whole thing, I basically told you guys what's left, commercial and charter to Havana under support for the Cuban people. And one quick point on this, this is the most effective way for people to travel to Cuba. Uh, I mean, this is basically like the express lane on the highway. Now, I'm personally a fan of keeping all lanes open on the highway, not just because of my rights as an American to be able to travel anywhere I want without restriction, but also because the more people we can get to Cuba, the more exchange of ideas, the more engagement, the more money into the hands of the Cuban private sector, the more we can build up Cuban civil society, which it just lacks as it's been eroded over the past 61 years. And then with that civil society, I think that's how change is really going to come out, come about in Cuba in a slow, gradual Cuban way. But it's through building that civil society. And so at this point, I mean, yes, the express lane is open on the highway. I'm a fan of all lanes. But I think we also have to fix the messaging and let people know, hey, the express lane is open because we're not even telling them that now. But that this is sort of a, a topic I've covered before and that I'll probably cover again, video for another time. But that's where we stand on the elimination of the charter flights. All right. So the next thing I want to talk about is the political current situation in Venezuela, because it's been a while since I've commented on that. And there's been some pretty crazy developments. Uh, Maduro is feeling a lot more comfortable than he had been in the recent past. And this all started when Juan Guaido, who over 60 countries consider him to be the actual president of Venezuela, but he's the speaker of the National Assembly, or at least he was. And that was the position that was sort of his, what allowed him to have that claim to the presidency 
since Maduro took over the other uh, institutions. But basically, he goes to the National Assembly. I believe this was on January 6th. And he shows up for work. And there's supposed to be an election to elect the Speaker of the National Assembly. So he's looking to be reelected. But the delegates that were in Maduro's pocket actually barred Guaido from entering the National Assembly. And there's even this crazy picture online of him trying to climb over this fence in his suit tearing while there was these agents like forcibly keeping him out. So he goes with the legislators that still back him somewhere else. And he's reelected as the Speaker of the Assembly. We congratulate him, all that. But meanwhile, back in the actual National Assembly, this guy named Luis Parra, who used to be one of the opposition leaders, I guess he was bribed or bought out by Maduro, he becomes elected as the Speaker of the National Assembly and the delegates that support him are in there. So then the next day, both uh, Parra and Guaido call an, a, a meeting at the National Assembly. They call a session. And Guaido, again, is prohibited from entering. He's only allowed to go in there as a regular delegate, not the speaker. So after this, Maduro kind of just like <sighs> seems to take a breath. Uh, he said that he's always had control of the situation in Venezuela. Everything's all good. He knew of the plan to overthrow him uh, last, last spring. And basically, he's sitting pretty. And now he, he says that democracy has been restored. Now that he has the, the National Assembly is back to normal. Uh, not that he has control of it, but that's basically the case. So basically Maduro's like, I'm here, I'm, I'm ready to talk. But the US obviously will not talk to Venezuela unless the conversations involve Maduro leaving office in some capacity or another. But, you know, because we want Guaido, uh, but Maduro's obviously not gonna leave. So it's highly unlikely that these talks are gonna happen. Meanwhile, Venezuela just keeps producing oil, they're building tankers in Argentina. These tankers are going dark and then they're sending the oil to Cuba. So really nothing's getting resolved there. And the United States is kind of getting walked all over in that sense because nobody's listening to our sanctions. And we've even taken it so far as we're not considering a naval blockade against Venezuela to prohibit the oil from getting to Cuba. But on the flip side, the U.S. has also just granted Chevron a three-month extension for them to continue producing oil in Venezuela. Now, Chevron actually has four joint ventures with PDVSA, which is the Venezuelan state oil company. And I read that they actually produce 25% of the oil in Venezuela. So super confusing, contradictory policies here. I mean, who knows what's going to win out in the end? Is it going to be democracy and what we claim we're fighting for? Or is it going to be American business interests? And as we keep grant, we just granted Chevron this extension. I mean, that was crazy for me to read. So basically to wrap up on this, order does seem to slightly be restored in Venezuela for the time being, or at least that's the impression that Maduro's giving off, although it's not in favor of Maduro leaving office anytime soon, so it's probably going the wrong way. All right, guys, and my last point on this is that these kind of actually came out and said that even if Cuba was to make concessions to the U.S., because apparently, you know, what the U.S. says is that all the sanctions that we're imposing on Cuba is because of their support for Venezuela, but even if Cuba was to make concessions to the US and sort of give us what we want, stop supporting Venezuela so much that it wouldn't make a difference. And he's absolutely right, because the only reason that we want to get at Venezuela and we want Maduro out of Venezuela is because we believe that Venezuela is what's holding up Cuba and we want to get at Cuba. And so it would actually make no sense for Cuba to give concessions to us in hopes that anything would change for them, because the only reason we want Maduro out is to get Cuba out.
All right, so speaking of Diaz-Canel, we're actually going to take it back to Cuba and specifically Cuban politics. Oh, hey, Bobby. Uh, that's Rambo. I'm sure you guys have met him from some other videos. Pero, yeah, so Cuban elections. This week, Cuba is electing its provincial governors and vice governors. These people are actually going to be elected by the delegates of the various municipal assemblies. Yeah, so no direct representation in Cuba. So this is all part of a theme that I see in Cuba. It's all based on the new constitution that was ratified last year. But part of this is the distribution of power in Cuban politics and Cuban society. So I want to touch on something that happened last year or last month, really. But uh, it was the appointment of a new Cuban prime minister. And this was done by Diaz-Canel. And he appointed the former minister of tourism in Cuba. He had been the Cuban tourism minister for like 16 years. His name, was, his name is Manuel Marrero Cruz. And he's going to be serving a five-year term. But before this, there was no prime minister. The last prime minister that Cuba had was Fidel Castro himself. And the only reason that Castro stopped being prime minister was because when Cuba got its new constitution in 1976, he actually eliminated that position in a reverse theme that was the consolidation of power. So Fidel used to be the prime minister, but then he just became the president, head of state. And those two functions were like essentially combined. But now Diaz-Canel is the president. Manuel Marrero Cruz is the prime minister, so he's going to be handling like the operations. Iskandar is going to be doing more high-level stuff. But again, this is the distribution of power, whereas before it was all this consolidation of power under Castro and the Castros, and now we're distributing it. And you know how, uh, this is pretty weird, but like, you know how in the U.S., the Constitution is the supreme law of the land, highest authority, because it says so, in a weird way that actually makes sense? In Cuba, this document, their constitution, which is not the highest authority in the land, still says with authority that the highest authority in the land is the PCC, the Cuban Communist Party. And the head of that party is Raul Castro. So really in Cuba, all the power is consolidated there. But in the running of the government, I feel that they're now trying to redistribute that power because it's clear that the old guard is on the way out and they don't want that consolidated. Whereas before, the more power that the Castros could have, the better. All right, mi gente, and finally to wrap up our first episode of the new year, I want to bring it back to something lighthearted and something with some connective tissue, and this is Getting Funky in Havana, which is all about Cubanidad. So if you guys weren't aware, there was a giant conga line that went through the streets of Havana during their, national, their annual jazz festival, and it included uh, musicians from New Orleans. So there's a couple of New Orleans bands, as well as the Cuban sensation Sima Funk that everyone's like so obsessed with. Farar el Tiempo is my favorite song. Actually, El Potaje, their new one, is really great too. But uh, yeah, this huge conga line, it was part of this concert series called Getting Funky in Havana, which was put on by Cuba Educational Travel. And it was all about building bridges and connecting through music, connecting through jazz. And uh, I always bring everything back to Cubanidad because that's the most important thing to me. It's like my thesis for connecting Cubans who differ on so many things, it's a basis for reconciliation. And music plays right into this because the Cubanos somos loud, we are very, we get excited, we get passionate, we get creative, and we've contributed so much to so many different kinds of music, including jazz, salsa. And so music is a vehicle for us to express our Cubanidad, our, our passion, our our focus on community or wanting to party all the time. 
Um, so really just a beautiful thing that happened in Havana. And I'm really happy that it had both Cuban and American actors in it. And if we can, this is the type of news that we have to make louder. We gotta make this type of positivity louder. So with that, uh, thank you so much for tuning in, watching Cafe City Cuba. I'm sorry that uh, Rambo over here shifted a bunch of times, pero <laughs> I'll come back with another video soon. All right, mi gente, as always, thank you so much. I'm incredibly appreciative that you made it this far, listened to the whole episode. And more than that, I actually really hope that you got a lot of value from it. Not only the stuff about the charter flights and the travel restrictions and the recap, but also about the political situation in Venezuela, getting funky in Havana, some a little bit more of that cuanidad juice. And, um, you know, everything else we talked about on this episode of Café City Cuba. If you like this format, definitely let me know. I want to keep it going. If you want more individual topical stuff, happy to do that too. They'll just be a little shorter. I plan to start doing interviews soon as well. So great stuff, guys. Palante in 2020. We're doing it. Um, all right, mi gente. It's getting a little long-winded outro. I have a habit of doing that. Pero besito, abrazo. I love you. Thank you. Bye.